tribe exists to make the name of Jesus famous in all of Jackson Hole and the uttermost bounds of the earth by building strong families, connecting through community, developing servant leaders, and making disciples that will change the world. Join us for services on Sunday at 5.30 p.m. You can follow us on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. If you have any questions like getting plugged in, giving, or just want to know more about Jesus, send us an email or call. Information is all on the website at tribejh.com. And now, Pastor Brian. If you have a Bible tonight, would you turn to the book of Psalms? We're going to be in Psalms chapter 133. Psalms chapter 133. I'll give you a second to get there. Let me read this to you. Psalms 133. This is from the New Living Translation. It says this. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew of Mount Hermon that falls from the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced a blessing, even everlasting life. If you're taking notes tonight, at the top of your notes, you can write the title of the message. Unlocking the anointing in your life. From Psalms 133, unlocking the anointing in your life. And if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I want to give you the bottom line. I want to give you the punchline. I want to give you the main idea right now. And you can write this down. Harmony is a key to releasing God's anointing in your life. Harmony is a key to releasing God's anointing in your life. I didn't say it is the key. I didn't say it is the only key. But it is a key that will release God's anointing in your life. You know, earlier this week, uh, across the country, there were students that had organized a walkout uh, to memorialize the 17 students that lost their lives in the, in the Florida shooting that happened recently. And as this was being announced and students were the, the day of preparing to walk out of their class, um, the Lord just put it on my heart that the students are doing something. Why aren't you doing anything as a pastor in this valley, Brian? And so the morning of, I, I fired off a text to uh, uh, several pastors who I have a relationship with here in the valley. And while the students were walking out of their class, uh, I got to meet with several of the pastors in the valley here. And we just met and we prayed. We prayed for students in this valley. We prayed for teachers and faculty and administrators in this valley. We prayed for safety of the students here in this valley because if you don't know, the real crux, the heart, the root of the issue, it's not about guns. It's not about teenagers. It's about evil. And we as Christians know the source of all of that evil. And we also know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And we don't wage war against flesh and blood, but we wage war against powers and principalities. And the best way to do that is through prayer. 
And so I met together with several of the other pastors from, from the valley, and uh, even Eric Davis from Cornerstone, who I've known for a long time and is a good friend of mine. He, is just, he was recovering from surgery, and so he couldn't be there, but we just called him up on speakerphone, and he got to join with us on speakerphone. And, and, and we prayed, and we didn't take a long time. And then on my way home, the Lord just reminded me of this verse. And has he ever done that to you where he gives you like a fragment and you're like, oh, that sounds like it's in the Bible somewhere, but then you gotta go and look and find it? That's what he did. He just dropped a piece of that verse in my heart. Well, let's, let's, be, <laughs> let's be, the Lord is like, be honest. And I'm like, okay, so I don't have the, I don't like, I don't have that in my heart for him to recall. I only had part of it. So he did the best with what I've done, right? Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And the part, I was like, okay, wait, wait. There's something about harmony and brothers and, and the anointing. of Oh, and then and I was like, what's the verse, Lord? And he's like, Bible Gateway, Brian. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure enough, here it is. Right, right, right here all along. That's what I meant, Lord. And then he just began... All week long, I've just been kind of chewing on this verse. And really, it's kind of a continuation of what we talked about last week, traction control. If you didn't get a chance, how many of you were here last week for last week's message? Awesome. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, you can always go to tribejh.com and listen to past messages. But, but last week's message and this week's message kind of, kind of fit together, and what the Lord really put on my heart is he wants you to know and he wants to teach you that harmony is a key to releasing God's anointing in your life. And for us to really get the most out of this passage, we need to dig into it. And the most obvious word of this whole chapter is this idea or this word of unity or harmony. And so if you go to blueletterbible.com, how many of you use blueletterbible.com? I mean, it is so great, especially if you're like a Bible nerd and you like to look up these words. Like, you can go to, you can open up your phone and you can, you can go to blueletterbible.com and it'll give you all of, you know, the whole Bible's on there. But any verse that you like, you can click on that verse. And then in, if it's a verse in the Old Testament, it will give you the original language, which is Hebrew. And then if you're in the New Testament, it'll give you like that same verse all in the Greek, and you can look up what these words mean in either Hebrew or, or Greek. And so I looked up the word harmony in, from Psalms 133, and I just want to share with you what that means. When you look at the word unity or harmony, harmony and unity in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're synonyms. They're very closely related to each other. So I use those words interchangeably. When you look at the word unity in the Hebrew, the definition of unity means this, union or together or coming together or all together as in everything being assembled and put together in one place. Unity, coming together, union, and being all together in one place. And I was thinking about how I could describe this word to you. And the first thing that, that popped into my mind was something that my son and I play with all the time. Legos, right? So if you have Legos at home, you can easily understand the idea and the concept of unity. 
This brick with the studs on top was literally designed to be able to fit together with other Legos. Did you know that you have been built, you have been made, you have been specifically designed, you, you have been specifically designed to perfectly fit together with God and his plan for your life. Now, you might not be connected, but that doesn't mean that you weren't designed that way. And here's the cool thing about unity. Unity is different than conformity. Conformity is you have to have the exact same mindset. You have to think the exact same way. Any type of creativity or variation or, or having your own thoughts or anything like that is, is completely unacceptable. But unity is different because unity is a lot like a Lego brick. They come in all different colors. They come in all different sizes. And with today's Lego sets, they even have these like really weird, odd specialty pieces. Like when I was a kid, like you kind of had to use your imagination to see that it was a spaceship because it kind of looked like a school bus with like wings sticking out of it. And you're like, hey, it's a Lego spaceship. Okay. Like Lego sets today that, that Kai and I build today, I mean, they've, they've got such intricate, customized pieces. But it's a great picture of unity because even something that is unique and different, and there may be only one of those in the bag of Legos, it has a beautiful place and it fits right on top and is designed to fit together with other Legos. When you think of the word unity, I want you to think of Legos. When you step on Legos in your kid's room, after when the lights are off and you thought you've like stepped into a bear trap, don't think what wants to come out of your mouth. Think unity <laughs> or harmony. When you step in, oh, harmony. How, who's ever stepped on Legos barefoot? At, yeah, okay, yeah, all the parents. I mean, doesn't it feel like they're made out of steel? And here's, and here's, what I, here's how... This idea and concept of unity connects with last week's message of traction control. If you don't remember what last week's message of traction control was about, we talked about how when on your vehicle, if you press the traction control button, it keeps your wheels from spinning out. But it also can sometimes mean a loss of power going to those wheels, right? And I talked about how last week, maybe you're in a season of your life where you've got your foot mashed all the way through, through the bottom of the floor, but you're not getting anywhere. And I said, it's perhaps because God has pressed the traction control button on your life. Well, here's how last week's message ties with this week's message. You can write this down. Whenever God presses the traction control button in your life, it is always an invitation to come into unity with him. When God presses the traction control button on your life, it's always an invitation to come into unity with him. If you have been working and striving and it just feels like you're not getting anywhere, maybe it's because God has pressed the traction control button on your life. But here's what you need to understand. He's not punishing you. He's not, he, he is disciplining you, 
But discipline is, according to the book of Hebrews, it's how we know that we're God's children and that he loves us. When that traction control button gets pressed on our life and it seems like all that we've been trying to work for, strive for, just in our own strength and effort is not getting us anywhere, maybe it's because God has pressed the traction control button on our life. But don't think that he's trying to punish you, that he's trying to to get back at you or that he's mad at you. Whenever God presses the traction control button on your life, it is always an invitation for you to come into unity or for you to come into harmony with him. Are you all picking up what I'm putting down? And I want you to know this, that unity or coming into harmony with God is a key that unlocks the anointing in your life. Well, look at the verse that we just read in Psalms 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. When there's harmony, when there is unity, it says it is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard. I want you to take the two concepts of Unity and anointing like Legos and stack one on top of the other. The anointing of God is released over your life when you come into unity or when you come into harmony with God. Now, we, we got to talk just really quickly about the anointing. Maybe some of you guys are, are very familiar with the anointing. Maybe you grew up in a church culture where, where they talk about it. Um, maybe they overuse it. Uh, or, or maybe you've just like heard like, oh, that's like, you know, what that church like, you know, back at your hometown, like down the block, they do the weird church in town, the anointing. Like, and you've, you're not quite sure about it. It's kind of this foggy concept. Well, let me, you don't need to be afraid of the anointing. You don't need to be scared of the anointing. It's, it's not something that's for some people and not for you. The anointing of God is for each and every one of us. And if you're not too familiar or, or comfortable with the anointing, well, let me explain it to you, okay? Long time ago, the anointing Uh, this idea of anointing was around even before the Bible was around. As long as there have been sheep on planet Earth, there's been a thing called the anointing. It wasn't the Bible invented it and then shepherds used it. Shepherds used it and then people were like, oh, oh my gosh. And they, they discovered that it was connected to and related to the Lord. Okay, so here's how it would work. Long, long time ago, whenever a shepherd would have a flock of sheep, he would notice that in the summertime, the the bugs would get really bad, especially like these biting flies uh, around the Middle Eastern uh, part of the world. They had these really nasty biting flies, and a sheep would have a nice thick coating everywhere except around his head. His head has like thinner, finer wool, and it couldn't protect, that poor little sheep couldn't protect his eyes, his ears, and his nose from, from flies that would get in there. And sometimes flies would get in, they would lay their eggs in their ears, and it would be really nasty, and it could actually kill the, the livestock. And so what shepherds would do is they would take olive oil, uh, olives that have been pressed and pressed, and the, and the oil drains out, they would collect that oil, 
and they would pour it over the head of their sheep. And they would rub it over its head and in and around its ears and down its little muzzle and on its neck to protect the sheep from those flies. And here's what's awesome, is that in Psalms 23, which I'm sure you were probably already thinking of, in Psalms 23, David is talking about the good, the good shepherd. And what, is, what does David say in Psalms 23, verse 5? He says this, you anoint my head with oil. So even in Psalms 23, what David, as a shepherd, was doing for his sheep, he would pour some olive oil on their heads and rub it around their ears and down their nose to keep the flies off of them, and any kind of creepy crawly bugs would, would get their legs all gummed up in the, in the oil, and they would stay out of the ears and the nose of the sheep. And from that, we get a beautiful picture in the same way that a shepherd would anoint a, a, a sheep's head to protect him and keep him safe. In the Old Testament, we see that the anointing is a symbol of God's blessing on a person's life. You can write that down. In the Old Testament, the anointing of God was a symbol of God's blessing on their life. Whenever a new king would be coronated, he would be anointed with oil on his head. A lot of different places, a lot of different, and they would, they would anoint everything. They would anoint the altar, they would anoint the priest, they would anoint everything. And in the Old Testament, when something was anointed with oil, it was a picture or a symbol of God's blessing on a person's life or a blessing on the temple. Now, in the New Testament, we still have the anointing, but it's a little bit different. In the New Testament, the anointing is a symbol of the Holy Spirit flowing through a person's life. Now, if you've thought, well, I've heard about the anointing, but I've, I've just never been familiar with it, or it's something kind of different or foreign to me, I don't really understand it, therefore, I'm just gonna kind of leave it alone, I'm just gonna like try to read my Bible and go to church and just be a good person, and the anointing, that's for like, you know, woo, those people over there, the anointing woo, is for anyone that desires the Holy Spirit flowing through their life. Think of, think of your life like, like, a, like a piece of pipe. When the anointing, the blessing of God is on your life, it is like the life of the person of the Holy Spirit flowing through that conduit and out the other side, affecting change. Your life, as good as it gets, is really not much more than a conduit. Now, do you feel like you need the anointing? Well, I don't know if I need the anointing. At best, you're a piece of conduit. And what's conduit designed to do? Conduit is designed to have something flow through it. The anointing of God on a person's life is, is the power and the person of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, flowing, not just into your life, it's got two ends, into your life and then out the other side, making a difference, making a change, impacting this world. So here's the question. So how do I walk in harmony with God so the anointing can flow through my life? 
Is that a good question? All right. I think of Jesus. He's a great example of the anointing that comes from walking in harmony with God. Listen to some of the things that the Bible says about Jesus himself. It says that he had the spirit without measure. Like the valve was cranked all the way open until it stopped and then turned some more until the handle ping, just bust off. Wide open. The valve on Jesus' life was wide open. Bible says that he had the spirit, the anointing of God without measure. It also says this, that, that before Jesus went into the wilderness, it says that he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And then on the other side of the wilderness, look at the, look at the conduit again. On one side of the conduit, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 40 days later, what comes out the other end? The power of the Holy Spirit coming out of his life. Now listen, if you do a great job of handling every situation in your life, if you know how to respond to every trial and every circumstance, if you know the right words to say, if you have all of the financial resources, if you have all of the, the, the mental and emotional fortitude to handle every single thing that comes through in your life, maybe you don't need the anointing. But then there's the rest of us that need all of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that I can possibly get. Because the demands that are waiting for me, the challenges that I face, the junk that I go through, the, the, the difficulties and turmoil in my own heart and mind demand a greater source than what I can produce on my own. On my own, I'm like, drip, 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 like in my best effort. I need the anointing of God in my life. So if we look at Jesus, what can we learn from his life so that we can walk in harmony with God so that the anointing can flow through our life? What was it about Jesus' life? Well, I wrote this question down. How did Jesus walk in harmony with God? I wanna share with you four verses and four principles that you can apply to your life. And if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Write this verse down. Luke chapter five, verse 16. The Bible says this, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Here's principle number one. Solitude with the Lord. How do you walk in harmony with God? Solitude with the Lord. Frequent and regular times of solitude with the Lord. Now, understand this. Solitude is different than isolation. Isolation can be very dangerous on a person's life. When they're not living in the context of community and with accountability and, and people over them, loving them and supporting them and, and uh, making them accountable. So, when you are accountable to someone else, what that means is you have to give an account for, for all of the gifts and the calling that, that's in God. They're looking at this end of that conduit. 
and they want to encourage. And if there's anything blocking that, they want to help clear that out so that there could be a flow of the Holy Spirit through that. Isolation gets the conduit clogged up really quick. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is solitude, communion with the Lord, reading his word, talking with God, praying in the Holy Spirit. Here's another verse. I'd like you to write this down. John chapter 8, verse 28. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. But I only speak the truth that the Father has revealed to me. Verse 29 says this. I'm his messenger, and he is always with me. For I only do that which delights his heart. Now listen to this, Susan, from the Passion Translation. It's so good. I only do that which delights his heart. I mean, if you were to like write that down and say, that's my life's goal, I only want to do that which delights his heart, you would probably get a gold star on your chart. I'm just saying. Well, what's the, what's the principle that we can distill from that verse? Obedience. So not only solitude with the Lord, but according to John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus was obedient. Doesn't say you have to like it. Doesn't say you have to understand You just have to obey. We could probably say amen right there because everybody's like, obedience, okay, let me just go work on that and then I'll come back and I'll be ready for the next part of the message like in about five or 10 years. The truth is we're always gonna be working on obedience. But obedience is a trajectory of our life, not a destination. That was good, Write, write that down. Avery, obedience. Obedience is a trajectory, not a destination. We're always working on obeying what it is that the Lord is speaking to us from his word. When we have that that time of solitude with him and we talk to him, expect for him to talk back to you because he's gonna. And then the secret is obey. Here's Here's the third thing. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Jesus is talking, we've probably all heard this verse before, but Jesus is talking and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays to his dad, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What's the principle there? Surrender. So not only solitude and times with the Lord, but obedience, and obedience goes hand in hand with surrender. What is it? Isaiah 119 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the fruit of the land. They go hand in hand with each other. Willingness and obedience. Willingness speaks of our attitude and obedience speaks of our actions. Has my son Kai been obedient when I say, hey, Kai, you got to take the trash out and he doesn't. And then I remind him, and then he doesn't. Well, actually, taking the trash out is my job, and that's what Lissa says to me. Let's just be real, because Lissa's going to correct me. <laughs> it's Kai's job to shovel the driveway. Kai, have you, have you shoveled the driveway in our walks yet? And he hasn't, and he hasn't. Kai, you got to get out there and shovel it, because there's nothing worse. Am I the only one that hates to drive on the driveway before it's been, like, plowed or shoveled? Like, if I can all help it, I like it shoveled and then dried. Because then you got those tracks and then they stay there. All right, Brian. But Kai, I say, Kai, you got to get out there and shovel the driveway. 
How obedient is he if he goes, fine, slams the door and he's putting his gloves on and you can see him like abusing the driveway, like, right? So there's this idea of a partnership between willingness and obedience. Willingness speaks of our attitude. Obedience speaks of our actions. And according to Isaiah 119, what happens when we put both of those things together? You will eat the fruit of the land. Just trying to help you here as your pastor. Let's look at another verse. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. This is the story when Jesus throws a temple tantrum. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those selling doves. So we all know that verse, Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. But look at this same story in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. I want you to write these two verses down. I'm going to give it to you. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, and Mark chapter 11, verse 11. And if you write those numbers down, it's like, 21 and 12, and then 11 and 11, and so those numbers will stick in your brain. Let's look at what happens. We all know that Jesus comes in, and he's, you know, you know, just throwing the temple upside down, but notice what happened just the day before. Mark 11, verse 11 tells us this. So Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. And then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Isn't that interesting? When we read that story just from the perspective of Matthew, we think that he went in there and just had a temple tantrum and just, you know, lost control. Like, ah, and like, you know, righteous zeal was, you know, consuming him and he was like doing this. But it was actually very, very calculated what Jesus did because we read in the book of Mark that he went in the day before. He saw everything. He saw, he saw the, the, the money-changing tables, and you know what they called those in Hebrew? They call them a bank. It's a, it was a physical table. It's called a bank where they would change their common money for pure and like righteous like temple money, and the exchange rate was awful. He saw all of it. He saw all of the cages of animals that could be sacrificed, you know, turtle doves, and well, I don't know, I can't remember what else, but there were all kinds of animals there, right? He saw it all, and he didn't do anything that night. It wasn't until the next day. So what's the principle here? Timing. Timing. The last ingredient for walking in harmony with God is Timing. Perhaps the Lord has given you exactly what he wants you to do, but he hasn't told you the time yet. Timing is key in walking in harmony with God. When you, how, how did Jesus walk in harmony with God and how is it that we can learn from Jesus? When we spend time of solitude with the Lord, when we obey what he tells us, when we're willing to surrender our own plans and strategies, man, I really think we should go about it this way and if I could just do this and if I... Uh, but just like Jesus said, hey, not my plan, but your plan. How do you want to go about tackling this problem? Surrender. And then finally, timing. And I think that probably could be the hardest one for each of us. Timing. We may know exactly what God's calling us to do. 
we may have his promise. Wouldn't it be great if the Giffords said, yes, Lord, we want to adopt, and then like out of the sky, I don't know why you had a jet noise, but here come the stork with like the two like babies from Liberia and like in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, knock on the door. Well, it's a fulfillment of our promise. Wow, wouldn't that be great? Timing. So here's what I feel like the most important of these that the Lord would want you to know and that he's just like reinforcing in my heart right now. Timing. It's not a matter. It's, you're not being disobedient. He is not punishing you. Your prayers have been answered by the Lord. You are on the right track. You haven't done anything wrong. Well, what is it then? And he just goes, he just says, timing, timing, baby, timing. Oh, just you wait. Timing. Because when I move, it's going to be the perfect time. And when you're on the other side of that, you're going to be like, oh, Here I was trying to force it this way. I didn't know 12 years later would be the ideal time. Timing. How many of you need to hear that part of the message? Timing. Just well, hold it up, hold it up. Timing. Wow. Okay, just hold your hand up and then just I want you to look around at everybody else. We get so impatient or we think we're being punished, or, you know, something. But look how many people are waiting on the timing of the Lord. Timing. When we come into unity with the Lord, it releases his anointing over our life. God puts his super on our natural and amazing things happen at the other end of this conduit. You've been listening to Tribe. Be sure to like us on Facebook by searching tribejh.com to stay up to date with our most recent events. We hold weekly services Sundays at 5.30 p.m. and you can find us on the web at tribejh.com.